In the face of the current atrocities perpetrated against the Ukrainian people by the government of Russia, we want to make you all aware of an opportunity to provide free therapy to those most impacted by the war in Ukraine. The organization called It's Complicated has created a platform for therapists from all around the world to offer their services for free. Particularly if you speak Ukrainian or Russian, please consider creating a profile at itscomplicated.life slash en slash Ukraine. It's Complicated is providing a secure online platform to conduct the sessions and will match people needing support with available therapists free of charge. Please consider creating a profile to provide free therapy to those impacted by the war. Go to itscomplicated.life slash en slash Ukraine. We want to give you an update about somatic integration and processing trainings coming up. SIP-1 and SIP-2 are both approved for 21 NBCC hours, and we have big news. They are also each approved for 10 hours of approved advanced credit through MDRIA. So if you're working on your EMDR certification, SIP trainings can count towards your needed advanced training hours. We're so excited to be able to offer this to all of you. More exciting news is that we're offering SIP-1 for an Australian time zone. On July 22nd through the 24th, we will host a virtual training starting at 7 a.m. UTC plus 10. If you're in another time zone, you're welcome to attend this one as well. But we've had so many people from Australia reach out about SIP that we wanted to make it more accessible for all of you. We also have SIP-1 available in American time zones on June 23rd through the 25th, and again on October 20th through the 22nd. Go to our website for all this info and more at beyondhealingcenter.com or email us at trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. Thanks so much. Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Today in studio is Melissa and I. I know, it's just us today. It hasn't been like that. For, for a, a while. while. <laughs> I mean, I guess there was one a couple months ago, but it's not very often mm-hmm. that we get to just talk like we used to. I know. It feels like a throwback to the, the good old days. It does. <laughs> it does. So today we want to um, dive in on treatment planning and target sequencing. Mm-hmm. So this is a really, really exciting and important topic with EMDR. Before we get into that topic, we want to mention some trainings that we have coming up that um, if you're a regular listener, you've heard mm-hmm. us talk of these many times, but we'll, we'll just share these dates with you guys again. Our case conceptualization and treatment planning approach that we utilize here at Beyond Healing Center is called somatic integration and processing. Mm. And through that theory and that approach, we discuss in depth and in detail of how do we conceptualize cases and how do we begin to plan for treatment and approach treatment with our clients. So this is um, this training is not specific to EMDR, mm-hmm. but there is so much overlap. That's right. In fact, uh, AIP, Adaptive Information and Processing, um, is one of the underlying theories 
that is part of SIP. And that was done, you know, very intentionally on our part because, you know, Jen and I started as EMDR practitioners. So this is how we conceptualize. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when it came time to put together a really, really holistic um, understanding of how do we conceptualize every case that we interact with, whether we're uh, currently doing EMDR reprocessing phase or not, uh, what do we find relevant? And AIP is absolutely part of that. Yes. So if this is a training you'd be interested in finding more information on, reach out to us. We have our next training dates are October 7th through the 9th, and we will be in Tulsa in person. Mm -hmm. And I think there's only a few seats left um, available for the the in-person, but we're doing it as a hybrid training. So we'll also have a virtual option and we have several other seats available on there if you wanted to join us virtually. Mm -hmm. And we would love to have you. Because it's a super fun training. Well, and one of the things, you know, that I just kind of wanted to share about SIP is that as we've been training it and really kind of helping clinicians to integrate this into their practice, we are in kind of constant communication with those of you that have taken it and are beginning to practice it to really learn how to help you all integrate it into your practice. And so SIP is really becoming um, kind of the way that we talk about everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we have a lot of people that follow our work and that do a lot of our trainings and that um, are, you know, learning a lot from us. And we wanted to let you guys know that this is kind of our, our core training at this point. SIP1 is sort of the foundational training of if you want to learn the way that we uh, think about therapy as a whole, if you want to understand why do we focus on the things that we focus on, why do we do what we do the way that we do it, et cetera, EMDR and even beyond that, then SIP1 is really the place to start. Um, we also have a lot of trainings in the works that are built on SIP, um, including SIP supervision model. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are things that we're kind of constantly developing. So if you're interested in really kind of understanding our language, the way that we work, why we do what we do, then this is sort of the foundational course that will set you up for everything else in the future that we're doing. Yeah. And the most exciting thing about it being SIP one is it means there's an SIP two. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that we are going to get to train for the very first time, October 5th through the 7th. Yeah. And, um, that's a training that we're really, really actively working on mm-hmm. getting everything polished and I'm so excited about it yes me too so we will be um, doing that training here in Springfield and it will be a seated training with also a virtual option Mm -hmm. so if you wanted to come to Springfield Missouri and see our center and come do the training with us we would love that Um, if you are already trained in SIP1 you are able to register for SIP2 if you're not you could try to jump in on that Tulsa training and then make it in time for the October training um, for the second yeah. second one. So. Yeah, and SIP2, um, part of the reason why I think we're all so excited about it is that, you know, SIP1 is the foundational course where we sort of lay the groundwork of everything. But then in SIP2, we go real deep mm-hmm. <laughs> and talk about things that, you know, we're all incredibly passionate about. And one of the things that I'm most excited about is that it's a really thorough exploration of personality formation. What makes an individual the individual that they are? And what are the universal pieces of personality formation? Um, both that bring in um, biological, neurobiological, neurophysiological elements to that. 
Um, and really looking at how, when we conceptualize this way, it informs, oh my gosh, every, everything about the way that we interact with our clients, but also just as human beings. Um, and it is such an answer to help us understand what dissociation actually is, um, rather than a symptom and or a nuisance. Um, it gives some real depth and clarity to what that is in the human nervous system. And yeah, I'm just super excited about yeah, it. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. So if you want more information on those trainings, um, you want to register or you want to see other dates that we have for the remainder of the year when we'll be offering them, email our um, training email, which is training at EM, no, training <laughs> at beyondhealingcenter.com, mm-hmm. not at EMDR. <laughs> and um, one of our support staff will get back with you and get you all the information you need and help you find out where to register if you're ready. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of case conceptualization, yes. that's a big part of what we're going to talk about today. It is. Mm-hmm. So this, the whole topic of treatment planning and target sequencing, mm-hmm. to really, um, and, and this is maybe just more of my opinion, Melissa, we'll see if you agree with this. I think you probably will. <laughs> I usually do. <laughs> there, the difference between an EMDR clinician and a great EMDR clinician. Oh, that's quite a statement. Is how well they can conceptualize the case, mm-hmm. where are these symptoms coming from, and how they can determine what treatment approach do we use. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. It comes with this deep knowledge and understanding of EMDR so that then we can let go of the rigid, strict, step-by-step-by-step and be more fluid and flexible with the treatment approach that we're utilizing to meet the individual client exactly where they're at. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, One of the analogies that you and I kind of recently explored around this idea was the analogy of driving a car and how... Um, you know, EMDR is the vehicle that we're driving, but you know, we all know that while a car can be the same, the driver behind the wheel makes a great difference (laughs) in the experience of the ride. Um, and you know, what you're saying, Jen is very much, what's the difference between being a 16 year old, uh, barely, uh, legal driver versus a race car stunt driver, right? And that has a lot to do with our ability to conceptualize what's going on with our clients and really know the subtleties of how to work within the neural networks in an effective way and uh, to know where we're going and why we're going there and how to get where we want to go. And all of those questions are uh, so much the art and the science, but mostly the art of what EMDR is. And this topic, um, treatment planning, case conceptualizing, and target sequencing, as far as consultation questions go, this is like the number one mm-hmm. for us. And we, we, we've talked about that before. In fact, it is what inspired us to write a training all about case conceptualization yeah. um, because it is a really underdeveloped skill for a lot of us when we're first coming out of grad school. Um, I don't think a lot of us had classes or had a lot of guidance on how to no I yeah like we had guidance on interventions on um kind of the higher level you know what is therapy and why is it effective but the nuances and the complexities of all the different ways that a human being can show up in the room we really didn't get a lot of guidance on um and one of the things that we know is true uh from research on therapists and our longevity in the field is that 
case conceptualization skills are one of the things that determine not only how effective we are at our job, but also job satisfaction. Mm -hmm. How confident do we feel in the work that we do and how much do we enjoy the work that we're doing? Which makes total sense to me because when we feel a sense of mastery in the work that we're doing, when we feel like I know why I'm doing what I'm doing and I can explain it to myself and to my client and I feel a clear trajectory of where we're going and how to get there, I feel so much more supported and confident as a therapist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And EMDR basic training offers so many great um, step-by-step protocol for the Mm -hmm. actual reprocessing, but it's impossible to have a step-by-step protocol for treatment planning. Um, And we have some good guides. And as we begin to present the way that we were trained and the way that we practice um, with treatment planning and target sequencing, it may or may not align with what you learned. Yeah. So every trainer does it a little bit differently. There's not a right or a wrong, a Mm -hmm. good or a bad, but just kind of taking in this way as an option Mm-hmm. And then being able to, you know, modify, adjust, merge um, the different approaches to really meet what your client is needing. Yeah. So when it comes to treatment approaches, um, we practice in a way of considering three different primary approaches and one being acute focused, mm-hmm. another belief or belief driven or cluster approach. And then the third one being a more developmental approach. Mm-hmm. And each one of those comes with their own pros and cons. Yeah, um, It comes with their own considerations. And I think we'll just kind of take this next section of this podcast to talk about those three approaches and maybe just explore some cases of what that looks like yeah. to utilize those. Well, and I, I think I would want to say from the outset, because it will become apparent very quickly that both Jen and I have a significant bias on this topic. <laughs> we have a strong bias towards the developmental approach. And so that's going to come through loud and clear as we're talking. But what also is important is that just because we have a bias and a desire for all of our clients to get to experience that kind of approach does not mean that the other methods have no validity Mm -hmm. or are not very necessary sometimes. And we both use all three approaches even though we want to use developmental with everybody. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Depending, there's all, all kinds of considerations that will guide you into which approach to use. Yeah. And knowing that as we talk about these three, whichever one you determine is the, the best fit for your client, know that it's the best fit for right now. Yes. That may change by the next session. Yeah. Um, that might change week by week, month by month. Like we want to stay flexible with it, but we're utilizing an approach that's going to work for right now. And it's very helpful to begin to think about how have intention behind what you're doing. Mm-hmm. The reason a, a selecting a treatment approach is so important is if we get lost in the like, just week by week, let's just target whatever's coming yeah. up. A client who has a lot of trauma, their experience in life is chaotic. Yeah. And so then processing becomes very chaotic and it feels like we're not making any ground. We're not seeing any change. So at least having a framework of one of these approaches in Mm -hmm. mind, but being flexible to allow that to change as needed gives us kind of a roadmap, a sense of direction, um, an anchor as we go throughout this to say like, this is kind of our focus in here. Um, but then always staying flexible with meeting the client where they're at. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, um, you know, doing that more kind of scattershot whack-a-mole version of target sequencing, 
there there is room for that especially at the beginning where we're kind of unclear and still getting to know our client um so sometimes we're we're easing into getting a really clear direction Mm -hmm. and that's okay um because what we don't want to do is feel like i can't start i can't do anything until i have a perfectly clear picture and a perfectly written treatment plan neither jen or i practice that way (laughs) (laughs) far from it um and so just know as we're talking that there is a lot of flexibility and nuance um but the goal is always to get to clarity as soon as we can and sometimes that takes a little while because if they're coming in with a lot of chaos or maybe they're coming in with a lot of dissociation Mm -hmm. and they don't really understand what in the world is going on with them so it takes us a little while to get to know them to learn the cues of their nervous system to get a clear picture Um, but having an idea of where we're trying to get to in terms of clarity is really helpful in organizing even those early sessions where it may feel a little bit more jumbled and chaotic and scattershot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we'll start with acute focused Mm -hmm. um, treatment plan, and that's really looking at um, a symptom. However, their symptom is showing up. If that is a result of a single or a few potential targets Mm -hmm. and that symptom then is manifesting after those trauma experiences occurred, the acute focus is let's just target that single target, that single incident, or the the um, few incidences that are of that same sort, mm-hmm. and we'll target those. And as a direct link, we will see the symptoms and the presentation change. Right. So a, a really easy example of this would be an individual who's in a car accident mm-hmm. and then has anxiety about driving. Right. Right. There's a direct link. The symptom started right after that incident occurred and there's clear direction of that happening. Mm-hmm. Now with that client, there may be two or three car accidents that we right. end up targeting all of those and we see the symptoms around anxiety changing right. and you know clearing up. We would utilize that in those cases. Now, some of you may be thinking, hey, I don't have any clients who have just one single trauma. Exactly. Right, you don't. (laughs) But that could still be a treatment approach that's appropriate for the work that they are hiring you to do with them. That's right. Well, and one of the... One of the reasons why we do end up doing this sometimes is entirely practical and circumstantial. I have a handful of clients that due to budget restrictions or to the fact that they don't live nearby, mm-hmm. that they come and see me once a year <laughs> uh, for one session, you, you know, and now it's a three to four hour session. But within that time limit, we can only do uh, maybe two targets if we're lucky. Yeah. Um, and because of the nature of the circumstances, circumstance around that we are keeping it very very tight and restricted and so we're using that more acute approach Um, so if you have somebody that has limited means um, that you know you know this is not going to be able to be a long-term relationship the acute focus is sometimes the most ethical choice because opening up a whole bunch of material that we're not going to have the time uh, and the space to attend to well is usually not a good choice it's not an appropriate choice so those practical considerations are sometimes the main driver behind choosing that acute approach and if the symptom is created by a single incident, um, it will clear up once mm-hmm. you address it with the acute focus. If there is an entire history of experiences that you know, create anxiety in this individual as a whole, and then the car accident happens and it really exacerbates that presentation, right. it won't necessarily take the anxiety away as, as a whole, but we're going to see symptom reduction. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the acute focused approach is more about symptom reduction 
than complete alleviation right. of a symptom. Yeah. And that's appropriate in some context, depending on resources and restrictions. Or it may be looking at, hey, this individual has so many symptoms that are so dysregulating in their life. Let's do some symptom reduction till we get to a more stabilized place mm-hmm. and then can go start accessing some of the core roots of the trauma, right. move back into more you know childhood-like experiences. But for the sake of their own regulation, we may just be focused on some of their more adulthood experiences to reduce the disturbance, not necessarily with the intention of fully clearing it. Yeah. Um, it can also be really effective in increasing somebody's motivation to do that deeper Absolutely. work. So if somebody's coming in and saying, hey, I heard EMDR can fix me around you know, my anxiety due to this car wreck, can you fix me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are always fun conversations. Um, you know What we can do, especially if we're exploring this and realize oh, this probably has its roots and some other stuff, um, our approach is that we're very upfront with clients about that reality, but also also respectful of their choice to keep it restricted but in the midst of doing that acute uh, uh, treatment plan where we're keeping it very very restricted the client often experiences a new kind of self-awareness around the roots of that issue and they feel it they have a felt sense of it that makes a much bigger impact than you know me as a therapist telling them hey this probably goes back to some other stuff (laughs) and so in that embodied experience and awareness sometimes their motivation to actually address the root will go up and we can have that conversation about opening up the treatment plan and maybe doing something more issue focused or developmental yes Mm -hmm. another example of that um is someone who comes in with a lot of anxiety about EMDR. So rather than, oh, this is going to fix it and let's go towards that, it's the opposite of I fear this or maybe I tried it before Mm -hmm. and it it didn't feel good at all or I'm afraid of what I'm going to experience. And so the now acute focus target is the idea of doing EMDR or their exposure to, you know, a friend who talked negatively Mm, about it or their own experience. We know that that likely could float back and we could find something even earlier around, I'm afraid to feel all my own feelings. I won't have control, Mm -hmm. whatever their fears come back from. But we start with just the target of doing EMDR. Right. That is such a cool first target to do. Mm-hmm. What, like, what's the image of the worst part, the worst thing that could happen, and how do we, you know, walk through an assessment and reprocessing mm-hmm. their fear of EMDR, yeah. um, alleviating that, and then same in the same scenario as Melissa was talking about, shining light on what else is back there mm-hmm. that then needs to become a target. Yeah, yeah, I. Uh... You know, as much as I don't prefer to do the acute focus, there are some really cool things about it because you get uh, like really clear results in a very short amount of time because you're not biting off as big of a chunk. Mm-hmm. Um, now, on the other hand, that does mean that we're not getting the generalization, right? We're going really deep in one very, very tiny area, sort of like drilling a deep hole rather than, you know, excavating a whole field. Mm-hmm. Um, and both are worthwhile as long as we understand what is this going to accomplish and what is it not going to accomplish. Yeah. Um, we're not going to get that generalization. However, we are going to get significant shift likely in that one particular area. And that can be very meaningful to clients, especially if they're circumstantially restricted. Yeah. So the second approach being Mm belief-driven or cluster approach. Mm -hmm. Also called issue-focused sometimes. You'll hear Mm -hmm. people use that language. So that being more so looking at a single memory network, like a 
multiple memories that are all linked and connected within a similar network. So we're getting a little bit more broad here. In the metaphors that Melissa was using, we're not drilling just a single hole really deep. We're now broadening it to be a little bit larger mm-hmm. of a hole. Mm-hmm. And so there's more memories that are going to be coming up, more um, different variations of presentation that we're looking at. But we're finding what is the link that connects each of these experiences. Mm-hmm. Belief can be one of them. So a negative cognition of I'm un- unlovable. I'm not good enough. I'm not good mm-hmm. enough. I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. Looking for a negative cognition that says, what are the experiences that come up that represent that belief for you? Or yeah. when when in life did you feel like that statement was absolutely true? Mm-hmm. What's your evidence that that's true about yourself? Yeah. And we're finding the list of cognitions that, or the list of experiences that go with that cognition and working through those and processing those. It could be a cluster, so it doesn't necessarily have to be linked by the cognition. It could be linked by the body sensation. Yeah. What are the experiences where you remember that knot in the in your stomach? Right. right. Um, it could be clustered around other features other than just cognition, but they have a similar link. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even uh, experiences. So a cluster around um, sexual assaults. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that uh, it's not just one. There's a series of them. So those are all going to be linked together in their nervous system because of their similarities. But they're distinct enough that we're going to process them separately. uh, But they're all uh, revolving around this one particular theme of experience. Um, The other thing that can happen is that it's sort of a chronological cluster. So sometimes traumas, um, you know, chronologically there's a lot that happens there so an easy example of this would be a natural disaster so there's the moment that the tornado hits right then there's the aftermath of walking out of the house and seeing the devastation and then there's the finding out that you know my friend passed away mm-hmm. and then there's the process of rebuilding right so it's it's one event but there's a series of traumatic moments that had um, similar but slightly different felt experience and um, all of them need to get attention all of their own because of those slight variations, but it makes sense to do them all together in a series. Um, so sometimes it's all around uh, kind of one big experience that had multiple traumatic elements to it over a, a span of time. Yeah. And in that example, you know, that, and like many traumas can last, you yeah. know, it's, it yes. could go a year, two years, yeah. an years illness, yeah. a battle yes. with cancer. Jeez. I mean, think about COVID and kind of mm-hmm. the layers and the multiple targets that are involved in an experience like that. Um, but they're all very, very linked together. And the link is obvious and clear. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that we're looking for what the link is and identifying each of the experiences that are a part of that grouping. Mm-hmm. And then we begin to target and process through those. On the second part of this, we're going to talk about how do we know what order to work on right. each of these targets with, but we won't go there quite yet. Um, but we have you know, a list of what those are, and then we begin to process through those. Yeah. One of the greatest benefits of this approach is it is going to cover more ground than the acute focused. Mm-hmm. We're going to see more significant changes occur. So a client's presentation of anxiety, um, rather than it just changing around, I don't have as much anxiety driving now, we're going to see it more generalizable and and a a greater trait change 
which that's a term we've talked about before, the difference between state change of just changing the way I currently feel, my current state of experiencing this moment mm-hmm. into more broader trait changes. Yeah. How do I show up in the world in general? Um, and so we're going to get more of that trait change uh, presentation and be able to cover more ground with this approach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some of the... Um, the limitations or restrictions is it takes longer, right? So someone who's limited financially or isn't going to be seeing you for very long, it doesn't have to take a really long time, but depending on what their trauma history looks like, they may have three or four targets. They Mm. may have 15 targets. Yeah. Um, So it is going to take a little bit longer to do that. But we do know if we're very strategic in how we're sequencing them, how we're selecting where to start, a belief-driven or cluster issue-focused approach can actually move quite quickly. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. more of where we we talk about in, you know, three to four months of therapy. Yeah, we could move through a pretty significant issue-focused yeah. approach, or in one five-day retreat. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is a, a space that you know we use this approach a lot in. Um, while you know because of how we like to operate and you know our grounding in the SIP model it's still very developmentally informed as far as what issue we're going to decide to focus on first but we've got practical limitations meaning we got five days or three Mm -hmm. days and we want to get some significant uh, shift for that client within that limited amount of time and an issue focus like that uh, can be really helpful I'm thinking of an example you use a lot Jen of the issue of experience experiencing safety and relationship. Mm-hmm. Can I, can I experience that? Now that's developmentally informed because that's such a basic developmental need, but you can do um, a cluster and an issue focused treatment plan around that developmental need. If we have practical limitations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say this is the place I see most often therapists start. Yeah. Um, aside from some of the acute focus that might be for the goal of regulating or reducing symptoms enough this is a really good middle ground starting mm-hmm. place where if you don't know, am I going to have this client for like a good year and a half? Two yeah. Years, How invested right? are they? Yeah. Or are we going to have, you know, six to eight months together as average and do this work? And so yeah. kind of a good starting place. Um, this approach you'll see oftentimes the float back utilized. Mm-hmm. You don't utilize a float back in the acute Mm-hmm. But you would utilize it here where they come in with a presentation. We're saying, let's float back and find the earliest time that this showed up for you. And yeah. then some of the other more significant times that that happened. And now we have a, an issue focused treatment plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The final one is developmental. Mm-hmm. Also sometimes called comprehensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is comprehensive. Yes. It covers all of it. <laughs> uh-huh. Which is why it takes a lot longer, but also why we like it a lot better. <laughs> yes. So in this, we're looking at, we need to get a full picture of Mm -hmm. all of the trauma. And we're not just categorizing trauma. We're looking at the impact of trauma as a whole. Right. Um, Not just, yeah, these categories or clusters, but looking at this is a a nervous system that has dramatically been impacted and shaped by the life experiences that they have had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we need to really comprehensively go in and address and target and reprocess. So if you have a client who has a strong negative cognition of I'm not enough, and I'm unlovable, and I'm stupid, and, and I'm, I'm worthless, yeah. and I'm not safe, mm-hmm. and it covers all and the I categories. And I can't trust people. Yes. Oh my gosh, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. it just it covers all the categories of negative cognitions. Mm-hmm. 
we could do a belief or cluster approach with each one of those individually right. or we zoom out and we say how do we look at this as a comprehensive approach a whole person and approach it in a holistic way and so you can utilize um I've heard people talk about utilizing like genogram or timeline Mm -hmm. for this. I personally always lean towards the timeline approach Mm -hmm. of looking at starting processing trauma in early childhood, knowing Mm -hmm. that those life experiences have a direct impact on everything after that. Yes. And the clients who most benefit from this approach are those who typically have a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. in early childhood. Mm -hmm. And so we start in that of not... Um, just kind of working through that trauma from beginning, moving forward through that in a developmental way. Um, Francine Shapiro in her second text recommends that you don't start with trauma before that early school age time, so like five, six. Let those be your first targets um, because the the more um, implicit memory and processing of that is different. Mm-hmm. It's very different. It's very powerful. But to someone who's never experienced EMDR or has never worked on that kind of trauma, it can be an overwhelming experience. Right. So we start with those early childhood memories that they have explicit memory of them yeah. and process several of those and then move back into um, preverbal memories. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, that, you know, that demarcation of verbal, nonverbal, or preverbal. Um, and explicit, implicit, as far as our nervous system is concerned, you know, that's about the time where real memory gets formed. Mm-hmm. And we start having more narrative memory. So our sense of self really, really sort of takes root in an aware sense right around that age anyway. And so that tends to be a comfortable place for people to start. Um, the preverbal traumas are incredibly important, but if you guys have ever processed any of those, it's sort of like attempting to hold a jellyfish sometime. Uh, like, you know, you're doing it, but it's a little unclear on what exactly is happening. And um, once we have enough experience with it as a therapist, we can do that confidently and it's incredible. But we got to remember that that's a weird experience for a client, right? It's sort of, it's uh, very similar to if you've ever tried to process a dream, which by the way, you can do, and I highly recommend it, but it's kind of weird, right? Because it's uh, more symbolic. It's more affective, affective with an A. Um, it's not as explicit and narrative and clear for the client. And while it's still really beneficial, beneficial, it can leave them feeling a little bit, um, off kilter. And so we save that for once they have a really trusting relationship, not only with us, but with EMDR, Mm -hmm. once they get it right, they've really incorporated that EMDR, um, is supportive in these specific ways so that they can move into kind of the wild, wild west of (laughs) doing EMDR with preverbal targets, um, and really be able to trust and relax into that process, even in the less, uh, clear times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And with this approach, the therapeutic relationship is going to be more important than ever. Yeah. We're looking at dealing with attachment wounds Mm -hmm. and needing to be able to have safety in the relationship that is offering the healing before we can even go back in and attempt healing on those experiences. So the therapeutic relationship is important across the board. I would never, ever underemphasize that. But when we're talking about a developmental approach, it says that relationship is the therapy. Yeah. 
Like that has to be present. Well, and one of the other really important things about the comprehensive or developmental approach is that extended resourcing and preparation is always part of it. Yes. Um, Because the assumption is, is that somebody that has developmental trauma, part of that is an underdevelopment of natural resources internalized Mm -hmm. in their nervous system. So that is going to be a part of our work. And what Jen is saying about our relationship being so important, that's part of that, that they are re-experiencing a safe relationship so that their nervous system can integrate that as a resource going forward because that's not something that they had or had enough of when they were young. Um, so we're always pendulating back and forth between reprocessing the early traumas and the developmental traumas and resourcing and adding in positive material that their nervous system missed out on in their developmental years. Some of the drawbacks to this approach are related to finances, resources. It's long, yeah. Yes, it yep. takes a lot longer. Uh-huh. We're moving more cautiously, slowly. Um, we can still see big shifts happen, and, and we definitely do those really profound moments, mm-hmm. but there's a lot more to work on here. Yep. We're moving throughout their entire development, their lifespan, mm-hmm. and addressing all of the trauma, not just one category of trauma. Yes, yeah. And, you know, for those reasons, we really enjoy doing it. (laughs) Uh, But also for those reasons, it can be challenging both as the the therapist, because you really have to trust that you're going to see those results over months and sometimes often years, Mm -hmm. rather than over a handful of sessions or a few months. Um, So we have to adjust our expectations, but also have a good enough ability to conceptualize what's going on that we still know that what we're doing matters, that we're still targeting things that are going to get us that generalization that we want and know how to monitor and measure that process effectively. Yeah. So kind of in brief, when it comes to target sequencing, we can, once we know what approach we're utilizing, we can determine from there what order of how do we want to order these Mm -hmm. targets and you can there's not a right or wrong that's right there's the most effective and efficient approach which Mm -hmm. is starting with the earliest clearing that one first and moving forward from there and you hit the the first time it happened and the worst time it happened and a recent time it happened yeah that's a very direct you know speedy approach where we just dive right in Mm -hmm. sometimes that's appropriate and many times it's not it's overwhelming to the nervous system so if that feels like that's a little bit too rigorous of an approach then we move into how do we modify that so that we're meeting the the needs of the client where they're not exceeding their window of tolerance we may start with some recent experiences Mm -hmm. to ease them into as we talked earlier of kind of revealing more about what's back there. Um, we may start with, um, you know, something that's really low on the SUD score. Yeah. So starting with some of their lower impact mm-hmm. events that are still related to that treatment plan, but doing several of those to build some adaptive networks, some resources out of that mm-hmm. to then be able to, <clears throat> excuse me, access the more um, traumatic experiences that are related to that network. Yeah. So we can modify how we're approaching these targets but we want to make sure we're doing it with intention and that we're inviting the client in to be a part of the decision making around that Mm -hmm. we are not just determining it and prescribing it to them we're utilizing it as a relational tool to explore hey what feels best to you 
what is it that you want to work on? What's your body? What messages are your body sending you about working on this today? Mm-hmm. And letting that be something that we explore and discover together. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the other thing about taking that approach of doing some lower targets first, um, and not necessarily, you know, if you've heard us talk about low impact events and practice targets and things like that, that are disconnected from the theme. And this is something different. This is when we're still working on targets that are connected to our main goal. Um, but we're choosing ones that the set is lower, right? The, the distress is not quite as intense and particularly with complex presentations that can be incredibly important because that gives us a window into how is their system going to respond to doing this in the first place? Um, are there any underlying strategies that we're going to see present once we actually try to target these things such as dissociation or uh, some personality disordered behavior or addictive behavior, compulsive behavior, things like that. And so if we have somebody with a really complex presentation, this is a way of kind of exploring how's this going to go before we're diving into the first, the worst, and the most recent. Um, Because the first and the worst are about as intense as they sound. It's the first and the worst. Like that's a lot uh, for any human being. And so uh, easing in in this way uh, is very, very supportive, not only to their experience of doing this, but also to us as a therapist to understand that uh, what, what might we need to add into their system in terms of resourcing. Back to that idea of we're always pendulating between resourcing and prep and processing for these kinds of clients, well, you got to decide what extra resourcing to do and doing these lower impact targets and sort of investigating how does this go gives us a lot of insight into what might we need to add in? What does their system need most in order to be able to do this successfully and move into those harder targets that we're going to need to? Yeah. So in just kind of our final comments, really being a proponent for all of this is something we're explicitly talking about with our clients. Um, It's a joint treatment plan. We're creating this and and setting our intentions together and letting Mm -hmm. them be aware of what we're doing and why we're doing it as part of maintaining the safety of the relationship. And then the second piece of it's always flexible. Mm -hmm. We may start with uh, belief-driven and then determine there's a lot of trauma here. Let's move to comprehensive. And then from there, determine, hey, this new thing came up and we just need to do an acute focused and clear that and then move back. So it's flexible. Things are always changing. And uh, the treatment planning phase is always happening. It's not just at the beginning. We're always exploring, do we need to shift the way we're approaching this. Yeah. And, you know, as we're talking about this, I feel like it starts to get really, really obvious why we emphasize conceptualization skills so much, Mm -hmm. because that is how we make these clinical decisions. You know, we're outlining what the options are, but the actual nitty gritty of how do you make these clinical decisions hinge on our ability to conceptualize what's going on with our clients, the stories that they're telling us, which ones matter, which ones are maybe not as relevant to our therapeutic goals, All of those are choice points for us as a clinician. And even though we're in collaboration with our clients, at the end of the day, most often they look to us, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We want them to feel that sense of collaboration and we really mean it. But nine times out of 10, they're going to look at us and say, what do you think? (laughs) And we need to have an educated answer still with options, 
but to be able to present them uh, with these options and an explanation of the pros and cons of each of them and the whys behind each of these and the experience that we can predict with each of these. And so, you know, really, really focusing on your clinical development with your conceptualization skills is a huge part of getting more confident with both your treatment planning approaches and your target sequencing. Mm Okay, hopefully that's shined a little bit more light for you on yeah. treatment planning, target sequencing. We could talk probably for. I was gonna say, I feel like this is a really it. high level flyby yes. of things that go way, way deeper. Yeah. Yes, and if uh-huh. we talk really in depth on this in our consultation groups, yeah, we do. Um, yeah. In our the whole process of consultation towards certification, so you can always reach out for more information mm-hmm. on that if you're interested. Absolutely. So before we go, guys, we do want to uh, remind those of you that have already heard us talk about it and for our new people to let you know that retreats are something that we do here at BHC. Um, It's one of our favorite things that we do, and we have recently trained several new clinicians that uh, work in our center to be able to do healing retreats as well. Um, And they are so much fun and just such a great opportunity to be able to set aside a few days Um, to really go deep in on uh, some healing work. Um, Healing retreats, we have a lot of therapists that uh, recommend them to their clients, and we work in tandem with you, right, in partnership with you to give your clients this experience of having an incredibly holistic wraparound um, few days to to get some EMDR. Um, But beyond the EMDR, they're also getting a really holistic treatment of what does it mean to be cared for, held in a safe space and really, really nurtured and thought about Mm -hmm. in a very detailed way. We have incredible support staff. We have great adjunctive services like massage therapy, equine therapy, yoga therapy, all kinds of stuff. Um, the food's great because we really believe that the food is an important part of it. Very important. <laughs> Super important. Um, but we, we've created these retreats to be very, very immersive. And the amount of shift and change and progress that we see for people that come through and do these retreats is just um, very, very inspiring. And we kind of started it as a little side thing, but because of how effective they are, um, it's really, really grown. And uh, most of our clinicians are doing them now as well. So it's also a great opportunity for you as therapists to have your own healing work done. Sometimes it can be hard um, to find an opportunity uh, to do our own healing work in our hometown. So we have a lot of therapists that kind of get out of Dodge for a minute and come in, uh, hide with us and literally retreat uh, into one of our locations. We have a lovely farm location now Mm -hmm. with fields and horses and wildlife and oak grove. I really like it. It's very <laughs> it's so nice. Um, and to just come and be really immersed in a nurturing environment as a therapist is so therapeutic um, and healing for us and makes us so much better at uh, serving our clients the way that uh, we all want to. So if you're interested in getting more information, you can uh, do that on our website at beyondhealingcenter.com. You can also always email us and ask questions about those retreats at therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com. Um, and our retreat coordinator, Brooklyn, will answer any questions. If uh, you have any, she'll get on the phone with you and talk to you about all of the dip- different options that you can choose from. So please reach out and uh, let us serve you and your clients in that way because it's one of our favorite things that we get to do. So thank you guys so much for listening and hopefully we'll see you soon at a training or a retreat and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. 
We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to notice that at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time. If you enjoy what you hear on these episodes and are interested in speaking with one of us at Beyond Healing Institute, we would love for you to reach out about our consultation opportunities. Of all the many things that we do, consultation is one of the things that we enjoy most. We love supporting other clinicians in conceptualizing their cases from a neurobiological and nervous system-informed perspective. We offer individual and group consultation for somatic integration and processing, as well as for EMDR therapy. Individual consultation is a great way to get personal time to reflect on your cases and how you and your work influence one another. Group consultation offers so many opportunities for learning and connection with other like-minded clinicians. Our greatest mission at Beyond Healing Institute is to offer opportunities for professional development and create a supportive community in the field of mental health. Beyond Healing Institute is excited to announce that we're moving. Okay, well, we're not moving our building, but we're moving our trainings, continuing education resources, and community events to Canvas. This will help you as a member of the community to stay in contact with other members of the Beyond Healing community, while also providing a platform that brings consistency and convenience to all of our trainings and course offerings. Canvas is an online learning management system that will be your home base for all things Beyond Healing, as well as a virtual campus that will house all of our trainings and continuing education resources. We're so excited to invite you to our virtual campus on Canvas, and we hope to see you there soon.